So tonight uh, we're going to continue our series uh, titled The Teachings of Jesus, The Teachings of Jesus. But we're going to jump out of the Sermon on the Mount for this Wednesday to cover a passage that's really going to speak to the mission of our student ministry. And that is, as a student ministry, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of everything that's going on here tonight. We are seeking to train and raise up lifelong, deeply committed disciples of Jesus Christ who seek to make more who seek to spend their lives pouring themselves out for the sake of this great mission given to us by the risen Christ. That's the whole point of student ministry. And tonight our passage is going to speak directly to that mission. And so I want to go ahead and read our passage, pray and dig in. And so can I have uh, Caleb, would you read verses 35 and 36? And uh, Andrea, would you read 37 and 38? And then everybody get your papers out. If you don't have it out right now, be looking at it as we read God's word. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds and had compassion for them, because they were hard, harassed, and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Yes. All right, let's pray. Father, uh, we come to now, to, to you now, asking for spiritual wisdom and understanding uh, that apart from my words, your spirit would work on us in such a way that we hear the words of Jesus and respond in faithful obedience. Father, only you can do that work in these hearts before me. Only you can do that mighty change and transformation and to draw them to yourself and to receive the good news of the gospel. Only you can do that. So, Father, I pray that you would do that tonight for the sake of your glory and our joy. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So to begin, we need to bring ourselves up to speed on the context of where this passage falls in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, remember, we have this long, uninterrupted stretch of Jesus' teachings, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount often. Um, and it covers topics like the meaning of Old Testament commands, as well as more matters like giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. And then right after this Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew writes in chapter 8, verse 1, Matthew is recording this gospel account of Jesus' life and ministry. Matthew writes this in 8.1. When he, Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, people are hearing him teach. They're hearing things like, like the Sermon on the Mount, and they're intrigued. They're, they're interested. And so we're told that these large crowds started to follow him around. And then, so he comes down from the mountain and he's teaching that message. And then chapter 8, verse 1 to chapter 9, thir verse 34, which leads us up right to our passage. Matthew, the writer, he's going to provide us with story after story of Jesus healing people. So in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, Jesus heals a person with a ser serious skin disease called leprosy. 
In chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, he heals a paralyzed servant of a military commander. In chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, he heals Peter's mother-in-law from a fever. In chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, he heals many people suffering from demonic activity. In chapter 8, verse 28 through 34, he heals two more demon-possessed men. In chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, he heals another paralyzed man whose friends drive him through a roof just to get to Jesus. In chapter 9, verses 8, through 26, he restores a dead girl back to life and heals a woman with a severe health condition. And the verses right before our passage begins, he heals two blind men and another mute man under demon possession. And so as soon as Jesus gets done teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he gets to work. He gets to work. He gets to ministering to the needs of people. And in fact, in chapter, in our verse, verse 35, in our passage, Matthew summarizes. He's going to summarize all that ministry that Jesus was doing at this point. And look at verse 35 now. This is what he says. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. And so Jesus is traveling on foot to probably two cities, to two villages a day. He's covering miles and miles of land. And what does he do when he gets to these places? Matthew continues, he's teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So teaching, proclaiming and healing, teaching and proclaiming and healing. Those are the three dominant activities Jesus engages in, in town after town and after town. And and as for teaching, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been covering these past few weeks, probably represents the core of what Jesus taught when he went to these different synagogues, which were the places that Jewish people gathered for worship, kind of like churches for us today. And along with explaining the the meaning of God's word recorded in the Older Testament and instructing people on topics ranging from prayer and fasting to money and anxiety, Matthew says that Jesus was also what? Proclaiming the gospel of 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 the kingdom. Now, uh, that word proclaiming, it refers to the act of making a public announcement. And in ancient history, the person who gave such public declarations or messages to people, they were called heralds. And heralds were assigned many different tasks, one of which was to bring news, to bring information from one location or one person to another. Remember, they didn't have iPhones or laptops. And so if you were at war and you, the military needed to communicate with those back home, they would send a herald, right, and to bring that message to the people. And when it was good news, when it was positive news, like, hey, we defeated our enemies, they called it a, a word gospel. They called it gospel. Now, and we can understand this, this concept of, of good news, of gospel pretty easily. Uh, for example, not too long ago, my wife and I invested in some weight equipment, uh, you know, because, I mean, look at me. I got to keep, you got to get swole. I got to stay swole. And part of what we bought was, was a squat rack and, and, I, and I found a great price for it, but there was only one problem. Uh, it didn't come with these safety spotter arms. I'm sure you probably have seen it. So basically, if you're doing something with a barbell, these, these racks are supposed to, if you fall or something, stop you from dying or something, getting really injured. So they're kind of important. Um, and so the only problem is uh, the spotter arms for my particular squat rack cost about $193, which is bad news. That's bad news, guys, for me. Uh, but over Christmas break, I, I trained with one of my good friends back in Joliet, where I'm from, and I told him about the rack and everything. And a few days later, uh, he randomly texts me, says, hey, I'm buying you those spotter arms. What's your address? 
That's good news. That's great news. Uh, uh, that's gospel. And so, so lock that in your mind. The word gospel, when you hear it, it means simply, most basically, good news. That's all. And, and like when I received that text message, it naturally fills us with this, like this joy and this happiness and excitement. And amazingly, students, get this. The, the fundamental message of the Son of God when he came to earth was called gospel. It was called good news to bring excitement and joy to us. That's the message of Jesus. It's called good news. Gospel for the world. And so, and so when Matthew writes Jesus was proclaiming the gospel, he's saying that Jesus was he's going around heralding, declaring good news for all to hear. And more specifically, he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, of or about the kingdom. See, throughout the history of Israel, uh, God sent many prophets to prophesy uh, about a, a arrival of a special, special king one day. Who, who would usher in God's eternal kingdom forever. And as Jesus is going from town to town, he's announcing, he's proclaiming, I'm that special king. I'm that guy. I'm the one that was prophesied about. And by my arrival, by my life and death and resurrection, I am ushering in God's eternal plan to establish a perfect rule over heaven and earth. And it's, it's being fulfilled right now before your eyes. Put another way, the good news is that God's kingdom of joy and peace and life, it was, it was breaking into our miserable and diseased and death-infested world through Jesus. Jesus was bringing the kingdom. The king had finally arrived, and, and he was saying that all who repent, that is all who turn away from sin and submit their entire lives to that king, all who give up everything to follow him, they will be forgiven and then invited to inherit the kingdom forever as sons and daughters of God. That's the good news. And Jesus is going around telling everyone who will listen, the kingdom is here. Repent, repent and believe the gospel. And as we already mentioned earlier, Jesus is just not all talk, though. It's not just talk for Jesus, right? According to Matthew, he's not only teaching and proclaiming, but he's also healing. And note how Matthew says that Jesus was healing every disease and every affliction. He's going all over. He's touching skin diseased lepers uh, who no one else would even get close to. They didn't want to contract the disease. Uh, and Jesus, he goes up, he touches them. And he says, be clean. And all the sores, all the lesions just disappear, gone. People who have spent their whole lives in utter darkness. He's walking up to them. He's touching their eyes. And for the first time ever, they see color, yellow and green and red. They see trees and flowers and the faces of their loved ones for the first time. Town after town, he heals poor and helpless, paralyzed people who have no hope of ever walking again. And with a simple command, he says, rise. And they stand up and walk and with great power and authority, he says one word to demonic beings. He says, go, and they flee. He, he grabs a dead girl by the hand, and she's like, I'll stand up now, I guess. And all these amazing acts of Jesus, they were signs and foretaste to what the coming kingdom will be like. A world perfectly ruled by God, 
Uh, a world with no more evil, no more mental illness, no more cancer, no more tears, no more death. See, Jesus not only teaches and proclaims, but he's working. He's laboring. He's toiling to make God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he came as he was ushering in the kingdom of God for us all. And so, so that's a summary of Jesus's entire ministry given to us in verse 35 up until this point in his life. He's proclaiming, he's teaching, and he's healing. That's what he's doing. But in verse 36, we, we get a glimpse into the heart and the emotional life of Jesus. Look, look there with me. Look at verse 36. Matthew writes, when, when Jesus, he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Now that word compassion is interesting because it originally referred to the stomach intestines of a, of a person or an animal. Uh, but over time, people started to use it figuratively to describe the place or, or the source of a person's most inner and deepest feelings of, of sympathy and, and concern. And so when Jesus comes to these towns and he looks upon these crowds of people, he, he's filled with this profound sense of like tender love mixed with serious concern, mixed with a passionate desire to help them. He feels all that in the deepest parts of himself. And we would say something like in his gut or in his heart. But why? Why is Jesus overwhelmed with compassion? Why does his heart go out to the crowds? Well, Matthew tells us in the second half of verse 36. Look there again with me. We'll start from the beginning. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, uh, we might not know a whole lot about sheep, but the people who originally heard the words of Jesus would have known all about them. See, in Israel, shepherding, which is the job of breeding and caring for sheep, was, was a big industry. It was a big deal. It was popular. And so uh, they knew that sheep without a shepherd is a recipe for disaster. See, uh, sheep, uh, they're, they're not necessarily dumb, right? They're not dumb creatures, but they do have this powerful even controlling instinct to follow whoever is leading them. They just want to follow. They just can't help but follow, whether that's a wise and good shepherd leading them to water and, and food and safety or another lost sheep leading them off a cliff. Uh, actually, I came across this sad but funny story at the same time. Uh, the story w uh, reported that in eastern Turkey, this is a real situation, about 1,500 Sheep, unattended, uh, they fell off a cliff while their shepherds were eating breakfast from far away. And, and get this, uh, uh, the first 400, they fell to their death in this ravine. Uh, but the remaining 1,100 were saved because the first 400 broke their fall. So it's like this big fluffy mattress. It's kind of funny. So, so remember that question all parents ask their kids? If your friend jumps off a cliff, would you do it too? Sheep would. Okay, like they're, they're going. They're coming with you. They're following. Um, so, so that's just, that's just uh, one reason sheep without a shepherd is dangerous. It's dangerous. But they're also defenseless creatures. Uh, they're not inclined to, to growl or show their teeth or bark or bite or shoot quills or pull out claws. They don't run fast. So besides throwing a, a couple kicks, they don't have any real way to defend themselves. And this leaves them incredibly vulnerable to other wild animals. And if you know anything about King David, who was a shepherd, he would carry that slingshot around to fight off bears and lions to protect his sheep. And one more thing about sheep that's kind of funny and sad at the same time again, is that they somehow fall and get turned over directly on their back like a turtle 
If left to their own, that is, if the shepherd doesn't come and put them back on their feet, they will most likely die. And so when Jesus, he looks upon the crowds in all these towns and he's uh, filled with people who, who can't use their, their legs, who can't see, who are demon-possessed, hopelessly sick and dying. As he looks upon human suffering in all its forms, he compares them to beaten and battered, helpless sheep in desperate need of a shepherd. In desperate need of a shepherd, and he's filled with compassion. His heart is just burdened for them. And listen, students, we're no different than those in that crowd. Apart from Christ, we are sheep without a shepherd. We are helpless creatures enslaved to our sinful desires of our mind and body. We'll follow the course of the world. We'll follow the ways of the devil all the way to death apart from Christ. But here's the good news. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the shepherd. He says to himself in John 10, 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. That is, he's the one who will take us broken and lost sheep and heal our wounds and diseases and weaknesses. He's the one who will lead us to eternal life. So, so before Christ, you all know, I, I follow the voices of, of rappers and drug dealers and gangsters and godless celebrities. I, I drank deep from all the world's pleasures as I blindly followed them toward the edge of hell. Until one day I, I heard the voice of the good shepherd call my name and said, follow me. I will lead you to life. I will protect you. I will bless you. I will forgive you. I will give you a kingdom. Robert, come follow me. And my prayer is that you all would hear that same call, that you would hear the voice of the good shepherd Jesus, burdened with compassion for you, burdened for your condition and sin and brokenness and death. And he's calling out saying, come follow me. Come follow me. Leave everything so that you might gain everything in the end. See, that's why Jesus committed his life to teaching and proclaiming the gospel and meeting the needs of people because he came to redeem and restore us. And as his disciples, as, as those who follow him, as those who are saying we are identified with this person, Jesus Christ, he calls us to be about this same business. Look at verse 37. It says, then, that is after Jesus' heart, heart breaks, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And you could just imagine Jesus. He's looking at the crowd, probably with tears in his eyes, and he's gesturing to his 12 disciples and saying, look, look, do you see the misery? Do you see the hopelessness and the despair and the grief? The harvest is plentiful. It's plentiful. It's abundant. The world is in desperate need of hope. Our family, our friends, our coworkers, our classmates, our teammates, they all need Christ. They all need the good shepherd. They need his love and forgiveness and hope of eternal life or they will die in their sins estranged from God and condemned and ruined forever. But, but while there are so many people 
who need the hope of the gospel, who need Christ. Jesus says, but the laborers are few. They're few. That word labor, it comes from a word that just means action or deed or work. And, and Jesus is saying then that while there's so much work to do, there's so much work to do, there are so few willing to do it. There are so few willing to partner with Jesus in seeking and saving the lost of a world. So few filled with genuine compassion that burst forth and boldly proclaiming the gospel in loving, sacrificial service. Students, when we say that this youth ministry exists to make disciples, that's another way of saying we exist to raise up laborers, workers, those willing uh, to, to work and toil from the name of Christ, those willing to take risks, to be ridiculed, to make sacrifices for the sake of others, not customers, not shoppers, not spectators, laborers, workers who are willing to dig in, get their hands dirty like Jesus did, and be a part of something bigger than themselves. Now, now we might be surprised about what Jesus tells us to do in light of such a shortage of workers. So the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What do we do? Look at verse 38. He says, therefore, that is because the workers are so few, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray. I go home from around noon to three every Wednesday to spend some time with my family before heading back to the church to finish getting ready for youth group. And last week, uh, Tiffany had some errands to run. And so sometimes, a lot of times she does. And so it was just me and my two boys, Levi and Theodore. And trying to rest my eyes for a little bit, which is impossible to do with little two-year-old uh, Levi. Like I laid on the couch, he's running up into me and just jumping on me and like stepping on me. And I'm like covering myself, I'm yelling in my ear. And, and, and you can always tell when he's up to no good because he kind of disappears from your sight and everything gets real quiet and peaceful. And you're like, dang, I got to go check on him. Dang it, I got to get up because you know he's into something he shouldn't be into. And so after trying to rest to no avail, I, you know, I, I, this kind of been my routine lately. I turned on some worship music really loud. And as I sang, I began to cry. And I don't cry that often. I did today again, too. But, but, that, but that day I was really overwhelmed. And, and it starts with me beginning to think about how God has been so good to me. I mean, really good to me. Uh, how he washed over my entire life, how he saved me from such a dark path, and how he has made me a laborer. Me, a laborer. And, and then I began to do what Jesus commands us to do. To, I began to cry out on your behalf. I began to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest for you all. For this ministry, for this ministry to raise up more laborers, to raise up more students who have really encountered the living Christ in such a way that they are changed forever. And they're willing to give anything to this mission. To become not just hearers of the word, but doers, not just customers, but contributors, not seat fillers, but servants. This is my prayer for this youth ministry and for us all. And the, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers that are few. Let's pray. Father, Lord of the harvest, 
please raise up more laborers. Please bless our efforts. Please make us effective. Please rescue and ransom broken sinners and give them life. Help us as a people make a difference in this world for your name. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.